Thanks, Ash. Hey, guys, how are we? Good, good. That, that's good. I'm glad that you guys are good. Hey, um, one of the things that we do is uh, every week we give away a book. And uh, here's the book. It's called God's Undertaker Has Science Buried God. And it is by a guy named John C. Lennox, who is a mathematician and scientist uh, from Cambridge University. No. Oxford, Oxford University, doesn't matter. He's a brainy dude. Um, and so if you've got questions about science and religion, science and God, or you've got a friend, you want to get this book. It's fantastic. It's free afterwards. Just come and get me or just steal it from the front pew before I can get to it. Hey, we're going to pray and um, we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, I pray that you would speak to us through it, and you would help us to be the people you want, want us to be from it. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, I started uh, back studying at uni. Well, not back, because I actually really haven't gone to uni much. Um, I went to more college, which is a totally different thing. But anyway, I, I'm there, I, I'm at my first class, and it's about the Bible and history and all this kind of stuff. And I just look around, and I realise that everyone is half my age. And it's just kind of weird. And then I sat down, and I didn't realize I did this. But um, in every class I've taken, um, the, the lecturer fills up half the first uh, lecture by saying, um, why do you guys want to do this? And he goes around the whole room, and it takes up half a lecture, so you don't, you know, he gets paid for it and does half the amount of work. But anyway, um, so they did that, and everyone's saying, oh, you know, giving all these different reasons. And I thought, man, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, it's because I'm a Christian, I want to learn more about the Bible and all this kind of stuff. And so it was coming down the row and then it stopped at me and I was like, and I froze. And I choked and I was like, oh, well, um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm just interested in it. And yeah, so it goes on to the next few, there's a few people. And then in my row, there was a girl, when she was asked, she goes, well, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus, I love his word and I want to know more about his word. And I just found, in one instance, I've, I, I felt humiliated because, like, as a pastor, I'm a professional Christian, and, like, I choked. And on the other hand, I was inspired by this, this girl. I mean, she stood up for Jesus and said she was a Christian in front of 50 of her peers. And so after, after the thing, I went up to her because, you know, I was inspired, and I said to her, Please don't ever do that again. And um, no, that's not what I said to her. I, I said, look how inspiring she was and that kind of thing. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you could have talked about Jesus and you've choked like, like I did. I wonder if there's been a time, maybe at school or at work, where you know, someone's asking a question about Jesus or, or you could have said, hey, actually, I believe this because I'm a Christian or something like that. And for whatever reason, you just didn't, or you gave some other answer. I think it's a really quite, quite a common thing that happened. And I think to, in today's age where Christianity is more and more kind of passe, on the nose, offensive, I think it's harder and harder to stand up for being a Christian, whether it be at uni or high school or at work. Or, or, or maybe there have been times when there, there's a social pressure that you as a Christian, you feel like I can't p participate in this. This morning I was talking to one, one of the people, people at church in the morning and they were talking about how um, 
their, their work has got this thing coming up where everyone's meant to wear a purple shirt to celebrate um, diversity and pri gay pride and everything and to say, hey, we're totally accepting of everything there. And as a Christian, you know, they're wondering whether they can go, what, whether what they should do at that point. They don't feel comfortable wearing purple because it's going against their beliefs. And they're like going, should I go just wearing normal clothes or should I just chuck a sickie? What should I do, right? And, and the other thing that we've got to realize is this. As a people, as a church, as individuals, we want to see the world that is hostile to Jesus, Australia, Sydney, that is hostile to Jesus, your school, your university, your workplace, that may be hostile to Jesus, we want to see that one for Jesus. We want to see a flood of people become Christians. And so what is it going to take for us as a group? What are the many things that it's going to take for us to share Jesus with a hostile world and see that flood of people become Christians? I think there is one thing in particular, and that's courage. It's courage. It is the courage to stand up and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Or, you, you know, let me tell you about why I, why I do what I do. And I wonder if you have that courage today. The, the apostles, Peter and John, in fact, the, 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 all the people in, in uh, the book of Acts seem to have this great courage. Why do they have that courage? Well, we're going to see that today. And we're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see a courageous message, two courageous men, and a courageous church. Courageous message, two courageous men, and a courageous church. Well, let's have a look at the first point, a courageous message. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, The priests and the captain of the, temple of the, uh, the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. What's happening here? That there is this tension. Here they are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, and the, the religious leaders are actually taking them and putting them in jail. But do you see the result of their preaching? The thousands of people coming to know Jesus. That's what we want to see. I don't know if you've ever heard me say, maybe you haven't. Um, uh, put up your hand if you heard me say this. We want to see a flood of people become Christians. Anyone? anyone? You, you've heard me say that once or twice, maybe, I don't know. Um, Dana, you haven't, obviously. No, you haven't. Uh, that's cool. Sorry to freak you out. Yeah. But, but, but here's the thing. 5,000 people, that sounds like a flood of people. We want to see thousands upon thousands. That's what we're talking about. When we say that, uh, and are you praying towards that? Do you want to see MCC grow like that? Well, pray about it. But the religious establishment, they're trying to crush this. But guess what? God is doing his thing. He's calling people to himself. And so what do the religious leaders do? Have a look at verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, here's what you've got to realize about the group that's come together here. They're not just a bunch of kind of dudes that have got no power. 
No, they've got all the power in the world and these are the group of people that only a few weeks before this had Jesus crucified. So here's Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus. They proclaim that Jesus has been raised from the dead and now they're before the very guys who said Jesus has got to be, got to be killed, right? And they ask, hey, what, what power and what name did you do this? What, how, how did you have this power? By what authority? What would you be saying? I wonder if you would do what I did and choke when I was at uni. Well, what does Peter say? Have a look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was, who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now, is it me or is that gutsy? You're before the dudes who killed, who got, excuse me, Jesus killed. They could do the very same to you. And you are pointing the finger at them and going, hey, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then he quotes from Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected has become the capstone. He's saying basically Jesus was, in God's eyes, the most important part of all of history and you killed him and you rejected him. And by implication, he's saying, you guys could be really, really, really religious, but you don't even know God here. You are an enemy of what God is doing. Very gutsy. Very gutsy. And then they say, then Peter says something that it would have been so offensive back then. And it's extremely offensive now. Have a look at verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. He's saying in two different ways, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Salvation is found in no one else and there is no, no other name under heaven given to, man, sorry, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And did you see the word must there? It's the only way. You've, you must go through Jesus. You guys crucified him. And if you want to be saved, you've got to trust in him. That's what he's saying to them. Now, here's the thing. It was offensive back then because they crucified him. They're like, how can a crucified dude be the avenue from which God actually brings us to salvation? But now the whole idea is how can you say something that, that narrow, that narrow mind, the whole idea that Jesus is the only way to know God? Are you kidding me? I wonder if you've ever had a conversation where, where someone has said something like that. Well, I believe all religions are right doesn't matter what you believe God's fine with it I remember um, going coming back from a gig I was in, in a car with with a bunch of guys uh, and we'd just done a wedding and um, the people were just throwing questions at me they knew I knew I was a Christian and uh, the the lead singer the, the girl she said to me Hans do you believe that you've got to believe in Jesus to know God to go to heaven when you die. And I was like, well, Jesus said that and he said that in the Bible and I trust in Jesus and I believe the Bible. So yeah, I believe that. 
And she said, I just find that really offensive. I find that extremely offensive. And she said, so, so here's what I believe. She goes, imagine, imagine there's an elephant, right? Imagine there's an elephant. There's a bunch of blind guys around. And, and, and one grabs the tail of the elephant and goes, oh, this is a rope. And the other one uh, grabs his leg and goes, no, it's a tree. The other one comes up against the side of it and goes, no, it's like a wall or something. And another one grabs his trunk and goes, no, it's a fire hose or something and so on like that, right? Uh, and she said, that's a bit like all the world religions. All the world religions are like those blind guys. They've got a piece of the truth. And just as I was about to answer, something weird happened. There was a drummer in the back seat and he said something smart because drummers aren't the smartest tools in the shed, right? Sorry, except the two drummers in this room they're fantastic, I just want to say, right? No, but, but he was like, hey, hang on, hang on. But wait up. You're saying that all the religions are like the blind people and they've got, they've got, they kind of got it all wrong though because it's not a rope or a tree or whatever, it's an elephant. So they haven't got any truth whatsoever. And yet, he also said that, that the whole point, it's an elephant, and you know it's an elephant, so there's a sense in which, aren't you saying that all religions are just blind men groping around the dark and they haven't got any truth in the end? They've actually missed the boat? And I think he's absolutely right. But, because here's the thing. The only way that every religion has got truth or knows God or can know God is either because God hasn't made himself clear, he hasn't revealed himself, or that there's no God. And if you have a look at every major world religion, what do they say? That there is a God and he's made himself known. And so if you're here today going, well, I think all religions have got a, a, a bit of the truth, what you're really saying is actually the, the world religions, they actually don't know the whole truth. It's an elephant. They've got it all wrong. But I know what's right. I know that they've got a little piece of the truth and everything like that. And in the end, you're, what you're saying there is extremely arrogant because you're actually saying all the world religions are wrong. The, the thing is, humility is not about... Humility is not about saying something that is controversial. Humility is not about saying something is right or wrong. Humility is an attitude. And there's a lot of arrogant, arrogant Christians. I get it, I get it. And, and I, you know, I struggle with pride and arrogance myself, right? But the thing is, don't reject Jesus because of a truth claim like that because we all make them. What you've got to ask is whether Jesus is right. The reason I believe that Jesus is the only way is because Jesus died and he rose again. He, he, he predicted his own death and resurrection. Now, you can predict your own death. I, I get that. Guess what? You can predict your own death right now and guess what? You'll be 100% accurate because you are going to die. But if you can predict your own death and resurrection then come back from the dead, I'm just going to believe whatever you say. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so when Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection and also says, I am the only way to the Father, I'm going to trust him. The question is, are you going to?
That, that's the first point. Here we've got a courageous message. Now have a look at two courageous men. Have a look at verse 13 with me. It says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Since, but since they could, not, could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. I just love that. They're like, oh, these guys are just unschooled, ordinary men. You know, they, they, they went to, you know, some dodgy school like Arden or something like that. That's a joke. I'm just, you know, just making sure that you guys are awake with me, right? Something like that, right? And, and, um, and or Mori Technology High. It doesn't matter. And, uh, and, they're, and they're like, I want to say something to them. But then the dude who couldn't walk is standing right next to them. There's not much we can say, right? And so... What did they do? So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Now notice what they didn't even consider. They know that this man couldn't walk and in the name of Jesus he gets up and walks but they don't even think for one second to go, hang on, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. Have you ever had a friend that says, I would believe in Jesus if uh, he could prove, you could prove to me that he exists. I say, oh, you know, how, how could I do it? I'll do a miracle right in front of me, then I will believe when people say that to me, and I've had a lot of people say that to me, I usually say, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Be because these guys, and there's so many people throughout the four Gospels who saw Jesus do miracles, and Jesus said, I'm God, or these guys say, Jesus rose from the dead, and they go, no one goes, I'll really think about it. These guys should have thought about it, but no, they just want to suppress the message of Jesus. And so, then they call them together once again in verse 18 and told them not to speak of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in, in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They're saying, who should we listen to, you or God? Well, I, I think this is amazing. Here are two ordinary, unschooled men, and yet... They proclaim Jesus. They are extremely courageous. Well, one of the things that, that happens to a lot of us is we want to tell people about Jesus, but we've got, we got these things in our head, these blockages that, that are kind of, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to do it, right? Hey, Rob, there was just a guy that walked outside. Do you just want to go and check and see? Oh, no, no, don't worry. It's Mike. He's coming in. It's all good. Okay, but, but one of the things that we do, one of the things that we do is we say... We go through all these excuses of why we can't tell people about Jesus. I'll tell you the two biggest excuses. One is, man, I've really stuffed up. I've done a bunch of things wrong. And therefore, I can't tell anyone about Jesus because I'm a sinner, right? Or whatever it is. Or the other one is, man, I don't know enough. I just don't know enough about Jesus or know enough in general to tell people about Jesus. But, but have a look at who the two people were, Peter and John, and what do they do? They tell people about Jesus, but what did Peter do only a couple of months before this? 
Do you remember? He denied knowing Jesus. And yet he still tells people about Jesus. And so, so therefore, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, he has forgiven you and therefore you can tell people about Jesus. But maybe you're saying, well, hands, I just don't know enough. But these two are ordinary, unschooled men. The, the, the thing is, they came from Galilee, which is right up north, and um, they would have had like this really bogan accent like I've got because I come from Moray, right? And people would have seen that, you, you know, and heard that, and, and yet they're speaking about Jesus. So it doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how much you know. You can tell people about Jesus. And here's the thing. People don't really care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. So you can win every single argument and not, and not win the person. Or you can lose pretty much every argument and love people and win the person. We're, we're, we are not in the winning arguments game. We're in the winning people game. I remember when I was in year three, four, and five, I had the world's best scripture teacher, Mrs. Megley. Now, what you've got to realize about Mrs. Megley, um, I don't think she's got a degree. She's, she, um, by her own admission, she, she doesn't have all the answers and everything. But man, she loved us. I can't remember one of her arguments or, or any of the things that she said in scripture, really. I can remember her love for me, though, and how that made this huge difference in my life. Your friends, who you're trying to tell about Jesus, they don't want you to know it all. They want you to love them. And, and a life full of love is far better, far better, than someone who's got all the answers and yet is full of arrogance. Which, which are you... Do people, are they blown away by how much you know or are they blown away by how much you care for them? See, because even these guys, ordinary unschooled men, talked about Jesus. And so that's what they kept doing, keeping on telling about Jesus. And where do they get this courage from? Well, let's have a look at the last point, a courageous church. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders said to them, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Did you notice the picture of God that they've got here? Is, is it a small God? No, it's huge. Sovereign Lord, that is, he's in control of everything. He is ruling everything. He's reigning and ruling. There is not one small little dust particle in the outer edges of the universe that he doesn't reign and rule over. And yet, do, do you also see that he has created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them? He's created everything. A few weeks ago, I spoke at Impact on Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, it talks about God creating the heavens with his fingers. Can you get an idea of how big and powerful God is? That he can create the universe with his fingers. And here is that God. That's who they're praying to. That's why they have got this great, this great courage. Because they believe in a huge God. 
And when you believe in a God of biblical proportions, how big are humans? Very, very, very small. How big are your problems? Very, very, very small if you believe in a God this big. And so they go on. They quote from from David from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. And so they quote from from Psalm 2 from David and they're saying, hey, David's saying, hey, God, everyone's just conspiring against your, your chosen king. And they're seeing that play out as Jesus is crucified. And they, they are seeing that play out as they are persecuted. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If you were persecuted, if, if a bunch of dudes who had just crucified Jesus only a few weeks ago said, hey, you've got to stop preaching Jesus, what would you be praying? I, I dare say we would pray, hey, uh, God, tell the persecutors to go away. Get them to stop. Not these guys. Have a look. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They're not saying, hey, make it all stop. They don't really care. They are saying, hey, no, give us power. Give us power to tell of your great and mighty works. I think it's an indictment on us that we would say, hey, God, make it stop. Because we are so wedded to this Western idea of comfort and safety and security. That's not them. They are saying we have found something in Jesus worth dying for. So God, give us the power to keep on telling about you. Give us the power to keep on preaching. They are not scared. They they are full of courage because they believe in a big God who has come to earth to defeat Satan's sin and death in Jesus' death and resurrection. That's why they stand up. That's why they are so bold. A number of years ago, I took my daughter Emma out to McDonald's. We We used to live in Cogra, and on Saturday morning, Saturday was my day off, uh, we would give Kate a sleep in, or we try to, and I take Emma out. She was about three at the time. We took her to St. Peter's McDonald's. And, um, you know, we walked in, and there's a bunch of balloons. They'd done a bunch of balloons um, with helium, so there are, and they had strings down, all this kind of stuff. Emma grabbed one, right? And I said to her, you can't have a balloon until you've eaten your breakfast. So she put it back. Um, because she always obeys me. All my kids always do, of course. It's a joke, by the way. Anyway, so she put it back. One day you guys are going to have kids and you're going to laugh at those jokes too. But anyway, um, anyway, we're eating our, our, our food, you know, our bacon, egg, McMuffins, and then there's three bikies come in. They're big, they're scary, they've got tats everywhere. It looks like they fill out their diary by going 9 a.m., kill somebody, 10 a.m., kill somebody, uh, 11 a.m., bury the bodies, 12th lunch, you know, that kind of thing. They were really scary, right? I was freaking out at that point, right? And the whole of Macca's just stopped. And then one of them grabbed a balloon and gave it to the other one. And Emma, quick as a flash, got down and she said, 
you can't have a balloon until you've eaten all your breakfasts. And I just freaked out. I was thinking, how do I tell, you know, Kate that uh, Emma's been killed by bikies? Right? So I didn't know what I was going to do, right? And, and luckily, you know, one of them pulled out a gun. No, he didn't pull out a gun. But, you know, luckily they just laughed, right? And just went on. It was all good, right? But they, they got their food and they, they left. And I was like, Emma, what were you thinking? Like, they could have killed you. And she was like, oh, Dad, no, no, I wasn't scared. And I was like, why weren't you scared? And she goes, oh, because you're stronger than them. And I was like, I didn't tell her this, but I wanted to say, hey, no, you're on your own, kid, if you do that ever again, right? I think, why was my daughter so courageous? She's courageous because she thought wrongly that her dad was bigger than three ugly big bikies, right? Why were these guys, Peter and John and the, the early church, so courageous? Because they thought rightly that they knew that the God who had created everything, the God who was all-powerful and was reigning and ruling over everything, the God that had defeated the greatest enemies of Satan, sin and death, they were on his side. And they had his... No, sorry, he had their back. See, that's where the courage comes from. And how do they pray? They pray bold, risky prayers. I wonder if you pray bold, risky prayers. Oh, God, God, you know, I, I dare say so many of us, we pray prayers which are extremely safe. Oh, oh God, help me pass this exam. Oh, God, help me... Um, Help me find the love of my life. Help me, blah, blah, you know, all this kind of stuff. Instead of, hey, God, I don't care what you do with my life. I want to tell people about you. That's what I want to do. You know, oh, God, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if, if people don't like me. I just want to tell people about you. That's the kind of prayers they're praying. Is that the kind of prayers that you're praying? See, so, so I think a lot of us, we've got, we've got our priorities totally wrong. Totally wrong. And we pray, I think, a lot of the time for the wrong things. And in the end, I think we actually, we pray for comfortable Christian lives with a big dose of the world's approval. And one day we're going to stand before Jesus. And what, and he's going to ask us, hey, I died for you. Did you live for me with everything that you've got? What are you going to say? Well, well, I dare say some of us are going to say, when Jesus says, did you live for me with everything you got? You go, oh, no, but, mate, I was popular. Oh, did you live for me for everything that you, with everything that you got? No, but I was really rich. Did, did, did you live for me with everything that you got? No, but, man, I was good looking. Who cares if you're rich, good looking, popular, or whatever? The main thing is to live for Jesus. Is that what you're doing? Praying bold, risky prayers and going to tell people about him. So, see, we have seen, we've encountered two men and a, and a church, the early church, which was so bold, so courageous. And if we want to see a flood of people become Christians, that's what we've got to be as a church. We, that's what we've got to be as individuals. 
And one of the steps to doing that is not only praying bold, risky prayers, but having this big, huge view of Jesus, who has defeated Satan, sin, and death. And so if he's done that, why should we fear anything? We actually should be courageous. Is that you? Let's pray. Now, Father God, I thank you that you are not a puny, pathetic God, that you are, you are big. You are in control of all things that you have won the battles against Satan, sin, and death. And so, Lord, help us to know that and and live in response, excuse me, to that. Help us to live bold and courageous lives, to pray bold and courageous prayers for your glory so that we would be like those first Christians who saw so many people come to know you. Lord, I do pray for those of us in this room who are doing it tough because as Christians we just feel weird either at school or uni at work. But Lord, I pray that we would stand up for Jesus. Give us the courage, we pray, to do that. Amen.